Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 504. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm one of your co-hosts, Lorraine Singh! <laughs> there was a little... I just like to add some yeah, music. Yeah, was good. Speaking of music, our other erstwhile co-host, James Monroe Eigelhart. I keep getting, you know, nice messages from him. Soon we'll have him back on the show. Also, I saw that he's on Cameo now, which really honestly makes me just happy. <laughs> we should order Cameos from him. <laughs> Don't tell him, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but we are not here just to talk about James and, and, and ourselves. We are here to tell you everything that's happening this week in Marvel that we're super excited about from games, comics, movies, TV, and so much more. Of course, on top of everybody's mind is Marvel Studios Loki. Every episode is just like, bam, 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 bam. Yes, the third episode came out this past Wednesday. <gasps> Every week i get super excited three was good um, lorraine four just watch yeah. episode three and then get a hat and oh hold on babies because <laughs> it's so good also there are new posters out there's a great new poster of sylvie this week that loki variant that is just the coolest so of course go over and watch the series on disney plus right now and stay tuned for more in this episode because we have some more folks from Marvel Studios Loki coming up later on in the show. And of course, if you guys are loving all of the cool stuff in the show, you should go over and check out all the Marvel must-haves that are inspired by Marvel Studios Loki. You can go to marvel.com slash must-haves and there's so much cute stuff. There's like little toys and stuff from the Time Variance Authority. Yeah, and it's there's stuff dedicated to each character. There's actual merch for Miss Minutes and even Mobius and, and Loki and, you know, everything around the show, just check it all out. As Lorraine said, it's marvel.com slash must-haves. There's also a Judge Ravona Renslayer with Miss Minutes that's a Ooh. Funko Pop. It's a little tiny Ooh. Miss Minutes. It's so cute. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Ravona Renslayer, there's an article on marvel.com. So if you're curious about her, there's a piece on marvel.com about the comic book version of that character and, and some insight, which is... Always like to plug the team working on Marvel.com. Oh, they always yeah. put up really cool articles and stuff and like deep dives and different things. So definitely check that out. I can't believe it. You know, time is passing so quickly. Marvel Studios Black Widow, we're two weeks away now. That's it. It's almost here. How is that possible? Two weeks? Two weeks. That's it. We're almost to July also. This year has gone so fast. Time flies when you can leave the house. Is Fair what enough. I yeah. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. We want everybody to experience Marvel Studios Black Widow in theaters on July 9th or Disney Plus with premiere access. We've been getting excited here. Lorraine and I have been doing interviews and some cool stuff. Lorraine, you've been like mm -hmm. hard at work on all kinds of fun Black Widowy things. It's exciting. Yeah. And the team, of course, you know, as you said, at Marvel.com is putting up all kinds of cool articles and stuff. There's a bunch of cool deep dives and like looks into what's coming for that film. So definitely go over to marvel.com and check out all the cool stuff the team is doing because there's so much good stuff. Oh, I can't wait. Get your tickets. Most places are starting to sell their tickets too for the film. So get in there and get your tickets before they sell out. Yeah. Oh, and there are cool exclusive posters for different theater chains. There's a, um, a list of those on marvel.com. I know pals at the poster posse. I've been posting their pics on Instagram of the different posters that they're working on. And I love the poster posse. They sort of like, sometimes they do it officially, sometimes, you know, just as fans. But this is an official collab with Marvel Studios Black Widow, and they've got some really great pieces up. So check all that out. Get hyped. It is time for oh, Marvel Studios Black Widow. It's so good. That's all I'll say. It's so good. Also a, a big week. Gosh, so much stuff is going on. Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel, is now open at Disneyland Paris. It's alive. Lorraine, Elizabeth kind of speaks a little bit of French. We should be able to, like, jump the line because she can speak the language. That's a rule, right? No, I don't think that's how it works. But especially because everyone in that country speaks that language. So you're literally in line with a whole country. But you know what? Go book your rooms now so that you can get one in the foreseeable future. But there's a lot of cool stuff there. There's the Marvel Design Studio where you can kind of get creative. There's the Hero Training Zone, a Manhattan restaurant, and a bunch of other cool spots to eat and drink. It's in France, y'all. If you're going to France, get your France on. You haven't lived until you've heard Iron Man speak in French. Ooh, this is true. Or I should say, oui. Right? Okay. <laughs> get it? We sure do, Ryan. Oh, boy. All right. Let's talk about uh, some video game stuff because... 
Thanos is about to be playable in Fortnite. There was this, the whole Thanos Cup that has been going on and some really fun stuff, but inspired by Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. If you missed them, that way you can find Thanos as the latest playable character when he arrives in the item shop real soon. He's going to be there uh, starting on June 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So you definitely want to get that guy. He's big and he's he's pretty cool. I like Thanos. I love a space dad. Happy Father's Day, Thanos. The worst dad ever. He's really terrible. And happy belated Father's Day to everybody who fathered this past Sunday. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Um, what's going on with Sideshow, Ryan? Yeah. So they um they were sort of celebrating video games recently and they had a whole week of cool reveals and, and things on sale and stuff. There's a lot of fun stuff, a lot of Marvel like game reverse things. The thing that I wanted to point out, because they had some really cool Hot Toys Miles Morales figures, there is a Hot Toys Miles Morales Bodega Cat Suit, which of course yeah. includes the Spider Cat accessory. The Spider Cat being Spider Man the Cat. I want them all. Oh, so cool. There's so many cool ones. I mean, there's also the Venom Pool, mm-hmm. which is just awesome. I mean, there's lots and lots of good stuff. Where can people check this out? You can go to sideshow.com. There's tons of cool stuff up there. Our pals over at Sideshow doing some really great stuff, and especially in tandem with uh, Hot Toys. But there's lots of other great stuff going on. Just announced this past week, Marvel's Voices podcast is coming on back. The first episode is going to have our pal Angelique Rocher talking with Chris Cooper, who was one of the first openly gay editors at Marvel and a really important voice behind the historic issue of Alpha Flight where North Star comes out. The first episode is out on Friday. If you're listening to this episode on Friday, it's out if you're on SiriusXM or you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts on Monday. Definitely go subscribe if you listen to that elsewhere or check it out on SiriusXM because we love us some Marvel's Voices and our pal Anjali. Yeah, it's a really great compliment to the Marvel's Voices Pride issue, which came out this week. That issue includes the Alpha Flight comic that features North Star coming out. It's a really interesting story. It's it's a very emotional story, um, mm-hmm. but I'm glad they told it when they did and has built a lot of uh, roadway over the years. And then it also is just... A freaking great, great comic. Marvel's Voices Pride is maybe my favorite of all the voices issues that we've put out so far. All these anthology comics with great stories. It has a wonderful sort of like five or six page intro that is all about the history of Marvel's queer characters. And it's really great. It's beautiful. It's celebratory. And it's drawn and written by Luciano Vecchio, who is just he draws characters smiling so much because it's just a thing that he likes to do. And it really, it's very effective, like seeing characters happy. It's not something you think about until you really see it and you realize, oh, it's really nice to see characters with joy in their faces drawn in the comics. They're Mm -hmm. not just fighting. I mean, of course, we need drama and everything like that, but the joy is really important part of it all as well. Definitely. Another really wonderful thing that you can check out on Marvel.com is that a bunch of the creators of that issue put together special playlists. I went over and as I was working yesterday, I listened to a bunch of the playlists and they absolutely slap. I added them all to like my Spotify because I wanted to be able to go back and listen to them again. But there are playlists from Anthony Oliveira, Mariko Tamaki, Chris Enka, and a bunch of other folks. They're so good. Just go check them out. And they're a great compliment. So if you're reading your pride issue, listen to that to be your soundscape. You could also make sure you're subscribed to Marvel's pull list because on that show, we actually had Luciano Vecchio on as our guest in the reading club. We talk about the Voices Pride issue. We talk about some other books that he's worked on. So if you are a fan of Wiccan and Hulkling, there's lots of discussion about them in this episode. And one of our picks for the week is, of course, Marvel's Voices Pride. But also this week, Heroes Return number one came out and it is a banger. It is just big smash them up wonderful superhero comics i highly suggest you check it out yeah do it do it but there's more for podcasts marvel's old man star lord has a new episode out this week titled heaven and hellfire and my pal cora the explorer wait no cora the recorder she has made some arrangements for star lord and rocket to go into hiding at the heaven and hellfire club in doomwood but it's sort of unclear if that club's proprietor Miss M. Frost is a friend or foe. Oh, the series is really so fun. It's like very old West vibes meets dystopia vibes meets Emma Frost. Yeah, Lorraine's great show. Great episode. We, of course, now have a preview for everyone. If you haven't heard it, here's a little sneak peek at this week's episode of Marvel's Old Man Star-Lord. 
Don't touch anything. Look at all the booze. You keep your hands off the hooch. I'm heading upstairs to fetch. Well, well. Isn't this a sight? My queen. You can leave us now. You sure? They'll do as they're told from here on out. Won't you, Quill? No promises. Won't you, Quill? I know you. How do I know you? You're not the kind of woman a guy forgets. You're here for something. Oh, oh wait, I don't think we ever officially met back in the day, but you're, you're Emma... Will you share the map with me, Quill? Emma, Emma Frost. The map that leads to the Black Vortex, I'd like to see. Don't do it. But you haven't aged a day. It's in your satchel. Reach in and hand it to me. Don't listen to her, she's messing with your head. So good. Listen on SiriusXM or wherever you get your podcast. Do it. Do it. One more podcast plug for us this week. I joined the folks on the Shonen Jump podcast, which is uh, Shonen Jump, if anybody doesn't know, is like the huge, long running home of manga, especially here in the US. Uh, it is the home for Dragon Ball and all the Dragon Ball manga, One Piece and My Hero Academia and so many more. I'm a huge One Piece and Dragon Ball fan. So it was a lot of fun. I joined the folks over there. We talked about sort of the differences and the similarities between Western comics and manga. I talked some smack about Gambit, which is, you know, always a, a pleasure for me. I showed uh, a lot of love for a bunch of characters from manga. We really get into some of like the cool parts of comics that we don't really talk about so much on here. And if you have any interest in manga or comics, I think it's a great conversation. You can check it out at viz.com slash blog or wherever you get your podcasts. I saw your like little clip go up with like a kaiju and I was like, yep, perfect. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Lots of good comic stuff going on this week too. Of course, the Hellfire Gala is in full swing, but I just really wanted to mention it largely because I've started to see people creating the fashions from a lot of our wonderful fashion cover variants, particularly shout out to the woman who is making the Mystique costume that's like her transforming from like white feathers into like sort of this blue fabulous evening gown. She's building the whole thing. Truly looks like she's someone going to a Met Gala. It's so impressive. I'm just so impressed with how many people are either making their own fashions or are modeling them completely off the covers. Uh, that Hellfire Gala hashtag is awesome. Go follow it on your social medias because it's really cool. Yeah. One of the tragedies of no conventions for right now is like we can't have an amazing costume contest at San Diego yeah. Comic-Con because you know we would have had an amazing Hellfire Gala you know, event, I would imagine. And it would have been so cool, especially because the costumers are come out to Comic-Con. They do not play around. They are legit. So hopefully we'll see some of those amazing Hellfire Gala costumes in New York and, and the future shows over the next year or so. So look forward to that. Speaking about the Hellfire Gala, another issue that came out this week is the issue of Sword. It's Sword number six, and it's a doozy. If you are a big fan of Storm, you better read it. If you want to know what's going on with Scarlet Witch, you better read it. If you don't want to be spoiled by some huge, huge things, you better read it. Read Sword. Also, it's a friggin' great-ass comic book. Oh, it's so good. So that's another plug for good stuff. But moving on, we have more stuff coming for comics. We have Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit just announced this past week under the new expert hands of Samira Ahmed, who's written a ton of sort of YA novels and and all kinds of things and a new york times best-selling author and i think she's going to have a really fun new story with artist andre genolet and that's going to be coming out in mid-september september 15th i'm very excited about this i'm excited for samira i think she's a great choice to take over ms marvel comics but andre is one of my favorite artists working right now because as everybody knows Friggin' Runaways is the best comic. I can't stress it enough. If you are not reading the current run of Runaways, you are missing out on some of the best comics Marvel's publishing. And Andre has been doing incredible work over the last year or so on the title. So Andre moving over to Ms. Marvel means it's going to be fantastic looking. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, yeah. Also... 
Coming for the kids, Ryan. Yeah. Have you seen any of Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends yet? Yeah, there are introductory shorts for the series, which, you know, you can watch on Disney Junior and the Marvel HQ YouTube channel and on Disney Now. But the show itself premieres August 6th on Disney Junior. It's real cute. It's basically the story of Peter Parker, Miles Morales, and Gwen Stacy, who together form Team Spidey, and they go on heroic adventures to protect their community. And it's like, if you have a little a little kid, like I do, it's going to be great. It's going to, you know, it's got great lessons about the importance of teamwork and friendship, cooperation, problem solving. It's also super cute. Like the animation is super cute. It kind of reminds me of like a Bubble Guppies kind of vibe. If you're hanging out with toddlers and... <laughs> And you're watching Bubble Guppies. I don't know what that um, is, but I'm not going to turn it on. We've got enough shows. But also Patrick Stump of Fall Out Boy is doing the theme song and the music for the show. Stay tuned for a chat that you guys had recently. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We'll have him on the show here on This Week in Marvel real soon. Alrighty, Lorraine, it is time for the guests for the show, our interview section. And you previously mentioned we are having some folks from Marvel Studios Loki on the show. We've got a triumvirate of amazing Loki guests. We've got director Kate Heron, head writer Michael Waldron, and one of the stars of the show, Owen Wilson, joining us here. That's a triple threat if I've ever seen one. Kate Heron and I follow each other on Twitter, and I am just obsessed with her because, as you'll hear in this interview with her, she talks about a large swath of her experience was working on a really fabulous show called Sex Education. And so when she went out for this position, she was still kind of newer on the scene of directing. And so she's just like a kid in a candy shop with this stuff. She's just like, yeah, they gave me the coolest character. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. Michael Waldron has written on so many of your favorite funniest things. And then Owen Wilson is Owen Wilson. Let's dive into the first chat, which is Kate Heron. Hi, Kate. Thanks for chatting with us. No, thanks for having me. It's lovely to chat with you. What is your Marvel origin story? What was the first thing that introduced you to the Marvel Universe? So it's not MCU, to be really pedantic, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but the X-Men cartoon. I watched that when I was a kid and I was obsessed with it. Like, I just love stories about outsiders and I was... I remember trying to turn like my Barbie into Storm and I like burnt her hair off. So I was trying to use, I think I used bleach or something I should not have been tampering with. And yeah, and it didn't work, obviously. <laughs> like turn her hair white did not work. Yeah, I just loved that. And I think that was the first thing that kind of definitely, that's where I first heard the word Marvel and that kind of like piqued my interest in them. And then like everyone else, I've kind of been following along Kevin Feige as he's like built this amazing universe across the movies and yeah. Yeah, the X-Men animated cartoon from the 90s is chef's kiss, I think. So many of us love it um, from growing up. It was so filled with drama, just the absolute best. Sorry for your Barbies, though. Uh, <laughs> so obviously grew up with Marvel in your life. What was your reaction and what was the situation when you were first offered the series and approached? Uh, well, so basically I found out they were making a series about Loki and I basically approached them in the sense I asked my agent I was like please call them just see if they'll meet me because I was fully aware like I love genre but my you know experience as a director I'd done like a, a really cool drama comedy called Sex Education but I hadn't done like and all my shorts are kind of weird and strange and comedy so I was like you know just get me in the room and I'll pitch them and I'll give them my take on it. And I just also love Loki. So I just wanted to see like, where are they taking him? So, <laughs> so that was kind of how that happened. And I remember that when I met them, I was like, okay, well, I knew there were some big directors up against me because they're at the same agency as me. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to Marvel, obviously, and pretend going and being like, I'm the most experienced person because I, I wasn't. I knew that, but I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to bring all this passion and love that I have for the character of Loki, what I think is so brilliant in the writing of the, basically I had the first episode and I had like an outline for the rest and what I just thought was really exciting. And then just kind of, I don't know, I've done improv comedy. So I guess I was kind yeah. of yes-anding their ideas and being like, this is cool, but we could do this or we could do this. If you don't like it, no big deal. But I think this could be interesting. And then also just, yes, yeah, style, tone, the music as well. Like I made this playlist, which had, millions of ideas in it but actually I think one song that stood through the whole thing was there's a 
Clara Rockmore, she did a cover of The Swan on Theremin. <laughs> and that's actually in the show. It's in episode two. So, yeah. It's quite awesome. A, yeah. And, and casting ideas, obviously. Yeah. I just basically, it was a big download of everything in my brain, along with why I love Loki. And they, they went for it. They chose me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I think, honestly, it was just, it was just surreal. Like, because I remember that I had to pitch in Burbank and I went into Marvel and that in itself was like a, oh wow moment because you know they had these cabinets with stuff from the movies in it and I was like oh this is so cool I remember like going in to pitch them and obviously they're all really lovely and it puts you at ease but I remember flying home and Kevin Feige was in London I think about a week later or two weeks later and he was like oh you know Kevin Feige wants to meet you and I thought it was going to be almost like you know like the breakup conversation of just like oh well done but not (laughs) Now's not the right time, but let's stay in touch and maybe one day. And no, he was like, you know, we loved your pitch and we think you're the right person for the job and we'd love to hire you. And I I remember just, I think I played it cool when he told me. I remember like leaving and being like calling. I could, oh, that's the other thing. I couldn't tell anyone I got the job. So I called my agent and I think I told my parents because I was going to leave the country, obviously. And they'd be like, where are you going? (laughs) But like, It was really weird, but luckily I I flew to New York about a week later to meet Tom. And that was incredible, obviously, because the last place we saw Loki disappear was New York. (laughs) Even from a fan perspective, I was like, this is cool. Yeah, and we we just had this amazing conversation. Like Tom always describes it as synchronizing watches. And I just felt like we really connected on, obviously, like things we loved about the character and wanting to pay respect to where the character had been before. But at the same time, there has to be a reason that you're going back in with him. And, you know, this isn't the Loki from Infinity War. This is the Loki from Avengers. So I think that in itself was a challenge, like making sure that we were presenting this different version of Loki and putting him into a whole new scenario. You know, he's not being arrested and going to Asgard. He's going to the TVA. We're like this bureaucratic organization surrounded by order. And, you know, he's very chaotic. So putting him into that was a lot of fun. And But anyway, amazing conversation, walking around New York synchronizing watches and then I flew straight from that to D23 and then they were like this is the director of Loki so I didn't have to wait too long to tell people because it all happened in the space of a week or something bananas wow that's a whirlwind (laughs) that's an absolute whirlwind when you started working on your pitch and then later working with Michael Waldron did you meet him at D23 is that where you guys first met when I pitched at Burbank Michael was there But I didn't really hang out with him, obviously, or talk to him. Mm. He was just in the room when I was pitching. So we really properly spoke for the first time at D23. But it was like this amazing, almost like baptism of fire. Because I remember (laughs) I met his family and his wife. And like, that was really, like, very sweet. And we were both in this green room surrounded by people like, I don't like John Favreau and Jeff Goldblum. And it was very surreal. And I remember that me and him, we had to go on stage and we had really strict instructions on like, <laughs> you have to say this sentence and leave when the lights go off. And I remember neither of us could find our way off stage. And like, I remember being pulled back through the curtain with him, but then we did this red carpet together and the lady and the tramp dogs were in front of us on the red carpet. And I was like, what is going on? So yeah, so that was a very bonding experience, I think for us both, but that's where we properly first met. And then obviously, yeah, after that, Michael had already done, um, a writer's room but then we did like a, a second like writer's room with me and him and Eric Martin who went on to be our production mm. writer and Alyssa so it was definitely like an intense way to get to know someone but it bonded us together I think. That's so incredible first and foremost but once you started working with Michael and and the writers and everyone and you started thinking about the sort of visual style and the tone of the show were there any comics that inspired you or anything else in the world that you sort of wanted to pull ideas from and language from yeah definitely well I'd say like as a jumping off point for the comics like you know the TVA in the comics looks fantastic like they have those Mm. amazing images of like the desks stretching off into infinity and I I loved the challenge of it's a funny one with the TVA because it's outside of space and time so it's not like it's on a planet or you know, it doesn't even have a sun. So I was like, even just lighting it, I was like, it's almost like Vegas. It has all this artificial light. It's just like, it's unknowable. How do you make the, oh, it's gonna sound cheesy, but like the unknowable knowable, right? And like, I think that for me was the biggest challenge in the look. And I love sci-fi. So I, I wanted the show because we pull into so many genres as people see as the show goes along. And I wanted it to be this kind of big love letter to sci-fi. <laughs> so, and cause I guess I've wanted to direct big genre for so long 
I was like, oh, it's my chance. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I mean, for the TVA specifically, like I grew up in Southeast London and there's a lot of brutalist architecture around there. So A Clockwork Orange was filmed near me and Children of Men and a lot of kind of dystopic sci-fi actually seems to be filmed where I grew up. But I love the idea of taking that architecture and putting that in the TVA because, you know, we have the timekeepers who are these like godly like presence, but marrying that up with, you know, this Midwest kind of style because it's very heroic and classy to represent the TVA. I think there were also things from my own life that I pulled in, like um, I used to work in a lot of offices as a temp before I was able to, you know, go make films and go be a director. And I remember like some of the technology I'd work on was like really archaic and kind of broken and they wouldn't always replace it at these institutions because they'd be like, well, it's too much money. So you're just gonna have to deal with it. And I just kind of found that something funny in that that felt very true to me about like, you know, I love that the TVA are like the top of the tree and in control of our destiny. But yeah, they're using kind of this technology that we wouldn't necessarily have expected. Like I thought it was fun to as a nod to films like Brazil, but also just, yeah, like real offices. <laughs> and the fun of it is for me is that they're not in the future, they're not in the past. So why should they have something that looks super duper futuristic? So I, I think that was the fun thing. And I know me and my production designer, Kazra, we had so much fun, like just, you know, coming up with that <laughs> and what that would look and feel like. So yeah. It's such an I mean, just a, a beautiful sort of world that you get to play in, which actually reminds me, you mentioned Sex Education, which is a phenomenal show. Kudos to you on on your work on that show. But that is shot very practically. And, you know, the Marvel Universe is larger than life, which means usually larger than sets. Um, so there's a fair amount of CGI and VFX. What was it like for you taking Tom and Owen onto the set when you don't always have a set? Yeah, I think actually something about our show, we did have a lot of visual effects and we had an incredible team. So that for me was a treat, getting to work with people at the top of their game. But something I was really inspired by was films like um, Eternal Sunshine and also like Scott Pilgrim. And, you know, those films had very heightened moments, but they have moments where characters will step off one set and onto another. And they did that practically in camera. And that was something that was really exciting to me and Kazra, the production designer, and also Autumn, my DP, because I love doing long takes because I, I, I'm very act driven and I wanted to see, you know, Owen and Tom play. And people can see, for example, in the first episode, when they exit the elevator and walk down that hallway into the time theater, like we built all of that. And I think that was really important to me and the whole team really is trying to like make the TVA feel as real as possible. So the pleasure I had really with the actors was they were walking onto these huge sets that were practical and we built them. And I think it really does add something to the TVA. And then obviously our brilliant visual effects team were enhancing that and adding, you know, like for example, that amazing viewpoint that Loki sees in the first episode of the sprawling TVA into infinity, which was obviously inspired by the comics. So yeah, I think for me, it was always a balancing game between that. But as an example though, of having to use the imagination, Miss Minutes, you know, when I filmed Miss Minutes on set, she was sort of like this terrifying lamp with eyes stuck on, on suitcase wheels. And, you know, we treat her in a very grounded way in the show. And, you know, the actors were acting alongside this lamp. <laughs> and they did a very good job, I think. And then obviously the visual team turned her into this fantastic, beautiful looking cartoon. But yeah, I, I would say like, honestly, I think for me and the whole team, I'm always like with genre, I always feel like, if you strip away all the bells and whistles of this story, like what is it really about and what's the emotion of it? And I think that's something I definitely brought from sex education was, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve and letting the emotion drive the story. And like, I guess two very different examples. So we've got one example, which is like Loki going through processing at the TVA in the first episode. We were inspired, well, I know Michael was inspired by the DMV and <laughs> I was inspired by like my experiences trying to go through the airport. And we, we just wanted to capture that feeling of going through like an institution and the kind of frustration you can sometimes feel. It's like, wait, which queue should I be in? Like, where am I going? What ticket? That felt like a very earth, you know, something that we on earth could relate to, but obviously seeing that through Loki's eyes. And then on the other hand, there's that beautiful scene in episode two where Owen and Tom have that beautiful conversation about free will. And, you know, he's from Asgard and Mobius is from the TVA and they're both like, it just sounds ridiculous, like where you're from. And I think for me, the context of that scene, it felt a bit like two people of different religious backgrounds having a conversation about what they believe in and sort of being like, okay, so that's what you believe. And that again, felt very relatable for me. So I think it was always 
driven by emotion and heart and trying to ground the emotions in reality so we could go to some pretty fantastic visual places. I can't wait for everyone to see the series. It's absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for speaking with me. And also, I just want to shout out that I hope your dog, Potato, makes an appearance in the series. Big fan. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Along for the whole, well, not the whole journey. I ended up taking care of him during lockdown. But yeah, he's he's definitely got all the spoilers, though. He's seen everything. (laughs) Been with me in the edit. Like, yeah. Potato, the dog with the secrets. (laughs) Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, man, Kate's the best. Next up, we have head writer Michael Waldron talking about all kinds of themes within the show and uh, what's to come. Hey, Michael, thank you for joining us on This Week in Marvel. What was your Marvel origin story? What first introduced you to the world of Marvel? I mean, it's, I guess it's got to be the the X-Men cartoon in the night, that awesome intro song. And <laughs> that was probably my thing. Yeah. And, and just the, I, I love the video games, those X-Men video games. Oh, the arcade style ones? Four people playing at once. There were some <laughs> the Genesis like co-op games that were really cool. So yeah, that was it. Oh man, of my generation and of my heart, like 90s X-Men, the greatest. But now, you know, we're we're up to today. You've worked on some of my favorite things, Rick and Morty, Community, that have such strong comedic voices. And now working on Marvel Studios' Loki, do you think that this is going to share a similar tone to some of your previous work, or is it just completely different than what you've done prior? You know, I think it I think it hopefully has its own tone that, that fits within the MCU. We we wanted to tell a dramatic story. Because Loki is an inherently funny, playful character. Hopefully folks will be laughing. I think they will. Kate, our director, and I both come from comedy backgrounds. So that's an arrow in our quiver, but but we weren't ever trying to do set up punchline in this show. We were really trying to do a crime, a sci-fi crime thriller. The show's so awesome. For anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to check out the first couple episodes, what is this series all about? This series is about Loki, a version of Loki that we saw in Avengers Endgame, who, who winds up through a mishap of the Avengers time travel hijinks, picking up the Tesseract and, and disappearing through a space stone portal. This is the story of where that version of Loki went. And he finds himself a prisoner of the Time Variance Authority, which is the organization that polices all of time and how things are supposed to go. And so Loki is a being of pure chaos. The TVA is an entity of pure order. And so a lot of fun conflict ensues. The ultimate odd couple. There's also just, you know, the TVA is not something I would ever guess after reading the comics that would just end up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's such a deep cut. What kinds of comics or series in the Marvel Universe were inspiring you as you sat down to write? I mean, so much. Obviously, you know, all of the runs where the TVA shows up early on, there's a great run of the Fantastic Four where the Fantastic Four goes to the TVA to the headquarters. That's the first time you really go there. You go to the Time Variance Authority in a run of She-Hulk. So all, all of that stuff, I drew a lot of inspiration from. There's not much of in, in the comics, but the stuff that is there is very fleshed out and you know it's a very clearly drawn world. TVA is like a very deep cut, but obviously Loki has, you know, 60 years of comic book history. What sort of stories from Loki's storylines interested you? And what aspects of his characters from comics? I think, I mean, obviously there's just the mischievousness, <laughs> the playfulness, the, all, all the stuff that makes him fun to watch also makes him fun to write. I was drawn, you know, there, there's a great run about kid Loki. That was really interesting to me because that's about a slightly more innocent version of Loki being held accountable or, or, or not being able to escape the sins of his past self. 
mm-hmm. in a way that, that felt germane to what we were doing here with the TVA and, you know, a, a story that's so much about the burden of your destiny and who you're supposed to be versus can you be whoever you want? So I, I found a lot of inspiration in that. Yeah. Oh, I super love those runs. And I mean, I got such a thrill just getting to see the trailer and seeing the vote for Loki sort of imagery just really tickled my heart. Yeah. I mean, that that's, there's so many good versions of Loki out there. So it was fun to get to say, all right, all right, who do we want to see in this show? So we do get to see a lot of awesome folks in the show. And you know, you have such an understanding of sci-fi, I'm sure, from working with Rick and Morty and, and other things. Were there other mystery or sci-fi film television series that stylistically interested you or inspired you for the series? I mean, we, we took inspirations from everything. You've probably seen some of our crazy influences. Obviously, Blade Runner was a big one. Toy Story was one because, you know, that that reckoning of who am I? What is my place in the world? My place in the world isn't quite what I thought it was. So Toy Story was actually a big inspiration. Yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. Man, that is, that's a wide gamut <laughs> from yeah, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner to, to Toy, Toy Story. Story, right? Blade Runner to Toy Story. <laughs> now you mentioned Kate Heron, the director. What was the process like working together as you were scripting? Kate's amazing. I mean, you know, we had drafts of all the episodes and and I was in the process already of revising all the scripts as Kate came on, still a, a good ways out from production. And that was so great because she was who I was going to be passing the baton to as, as we went into production. And she represented fresh eyes. We had really been in the weeds to put it to, to put it lightly on time travel and on all this stuff. And so Kate came in with such a brilliant outsider's perspective at first. And her notes early on were so informative to myself and to the writers as, as we revised everything and, and got it ready to head into production. So what you're saying is time travel is complicated, which as a comic book fan, I can attest to is extremely, extremely hard to untangle. Yeah, yeah, I can confirm. Uh, <laughs> it was our job to make sure we didn't make such a mess of it that the MCU has to reboot uh, itself <laughs> the way that, that comics runs find themselves sometimes. All right, well, no spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait to find out what happens at the end of the series. But, you know, to that end, you know, you're dealing with time travel. And also, you know, you have that element affecting Loki because this isn't the Loki that has gotten a few more films to evolve and learn to love Thor and try to save Asgard. Um, You know, this is him post Marvel Studios Avengers. So what can we expect from Loki at this different point in his evolution as a character? This is probably Loki at his most arch villainous, you know, on, on the heels of his defeat in Avengers, in the first Avengers. He's desperate, he's humiliated. He might be at his most dangerous. And so now here he is, this being of absolute chaos, suddenly thrust into an organization of complete and total order. So it's a real powder keg with the two of those. Well, and with that order, we have Mobius, who is so absolutely sort of opposite seeming. What was it about that character that you were looking to explore in the series and his relationship with Loki? I love Mobius. I mean, I, I think that it's it's Loki. Loki's such a anti-hero in the, you know, playing in the shades of gray. With Mobius, it was fun to write a character who was a little more true blue hero sort of guy. I, I think that Mobius, maybe above all else, is patient. That is what sets him apart from Loki and also apart from everybody else in Loki's life. He's the most patient that anybody's ever been with Loki. And that, in fact, drives Loki the craziest. So they just have a very fun, interesting dynamic. I'm curious for you as a writer, when (laughs) there are so many fun moments where Mobius sort of calls out Loki. I mean, I think in the pilot episode, he's like, oh, you have a real gift for metaphor. Which character do you most enjoy writing the voice of? I love Mobius because that, you know, that was a character that was sort of there wasn't much to that character in the comics. So it felt like really getting to originate 
somebody and, and how they interacted and everything. But my favorite character right is Loki. That's just a dream come true, writing dialogue for Tom to perform as that character because you just know every line is going to be delicious, is going to be entertaining, funny, sexy, scary, all of those things all, all wrapped up in one. What has it been like now to see the early fan reaction and to see your work become part of one of the longest tapestries of storytelling that exists in society today? I mean, really, the Marvel Universe. It's a tremendous honor. You can't think about it too much or you'll <laughs> collapse in on yourself and never, never be able to write. <laughs> but I, I just feel so fortunate the amount of work that went into making this show from the production team, especially during a pandemic. And it starts at the top with Kate, with Kevin Wright and Stephen Broussard, our creative producers. You know, th those guys, they moved mountains to get this show done safely. And it's also a testament to Tom. You know, he was our captain on this thing and, and everybody, nobody's going to outwork him. And I think like like a great sports team, everybody really performed, you know, in, inspired by Loki himself. So I just feel very, very fortunate. Did you get a chance to sort of talk with Tom through the character as you were writing? I did. I did. Tom came. He visited our writer's room. He sat with us for a full day answering questions and everything. And then Tom and I had several meals together and just got to know one another and became pals, became friends. You know, he talked to me about what went into originating this character and all that. And we went through dialogue and, you know, he helped me get in his head as a performer, which in turn helped me write better stuff for him. What was the one most surprising thing, if there was one most surprising thing about Loki? Did anything he say change how you thought about him? You know, I don't even think I can answer that. I think that might be a spoiler. There were one or two revelations from those conversations that that really unlocked things for me that, that became integral to the DNA of the show all the way to the end. Well, I think I'll end it there because I don't want to get in any trouble with spoilers. We will devour every moment waiting to find that revelation at the end. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, thank you to Michael. He's in the mustache club. Ooh, I love a good mustache, bro. All right, uh, let's wrap up this week's Marvel Studios Loki chats with, look, it's Owen Wilson. Let's bring on Owen right now. Hello, Owen. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. What was it for you that first connected you to what Marvel is? Well, the first big thing for me was a early phone call with the director, Kate, where she sort of explained the series and the character that I would be playing and the dynamic that sort of the way she saw it between Loki and Mobius. And based on that, I signed on. What was it that really like sold you on being Mobius in Marvel Studios Loki? I got to say, and it sounds sort of maybe a little bit shallow, but just the name Mobius, I think is a pretty cool name. You know, you don't want to play poker with a guy named Mobius. <laughs> He's always got a way around things. When you join the production, you obviously, of course, Tom Hiddleston, he's got, you know, years playing Loki. He's been in the MCU. Did you sit down and talk about what the MCU is, what Loki's story is? What, what was that first conversation with Tom like? Yeah, before we started filming, Tom sat down. We actually called it the Loki Lectures, going to Loki school, because he spent more than a few days with me just really going through the whole mythology and showing me clips from the other movies. And all of that helped me to sort of understand his character and was helpful for Mobius, who's supposed to be an expert on Loki. Who is Mobius and what is his role with the TVA, in case any of our listeners don't know? Mobius is an agent for the Time Variance Authority, the TVA, and his stated mission is to protect the sacred timeline. And it's not to decide if good things are going to happen or bad things. They're not concerned with that. They're sort of above that. It's more that the proper flow of time continues in the way that it's supposed to. I saw that they announced a Mobius action figure. Is that weird? Is it cool? What is that when you see that, that figure of yourself? 
It's not weird. I would say it's cool. I'll be excited to get that action figure. I mean, who doesn't want to have an action figure? I, I've seen the the first two episodes, and it just it's rare to see a character get under Loki's skin the way that Mobius does. But there's also it feels like the relationship is like Mobius likes something about Loki. What's that relationship like between the two throughout the series? I think that in sort of his study of Loki and becoming sort of an expert on Loki, you can't help but have a little bit of compassion, maybe, I think, along with understanding of sort of a person's motives and what drives them. Sometimes there's, you know, a familiarity that rather than breeding contempt makes Mobius a little bit more understanding of Loki. The show looks it's a visually really interesting piece. How much of that were you getting early on from Kate and from from Tom? I got it right from the beginning with sort of the first costume fittings and seeing, you know, the uniform of the TVA and this kind of futuristic but kind of retro feel to it and the way the sets were just awesome. And so I, I kind of had a sense of it right from the beginning. You know, I think of, you know, some of like the Wes Anderson films you've been in, they're visually beautiful films, you know, like they're gorgeous. This one also gorgeous, but I, I imagine there's a lot of CGI. What is that like for you as, you know, acting around and how much of it do you just visualize or how much do you just like focus on? Here's what we're trying to get across in this scene. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, being a kid kind of in make-believe land. And so with the CGI, you know, that's always a little bit of a challenge. You got to sort of imagine that this is in the distance or it's something terrifying is coming for you. But with Loki, I think the fact that we had these incredible sets and so I was able to use that and didn't have to imagine it. It was right there. In the, I believe it's the second episode, Loki and Mobius, they're sitting down. It's one of the scenes where they're talking in like a cafeteria. I really like that scene. And Mobius sort of explains like, this is just what it is. I'm doing my part to help the sacred timeline continue on. And there's a relaxing, I, I got a sort of like calming vibe from all of that. Like the inevitability of it all. Once the timeline is done, like. Hey, see ya. We're good. It's all it's all done. What do you think the fans are going to say about that story and that journey that Mobius is on? Well, I think there, you know, that, that's something that I think in, in real life you sort of sometimes question, you know, how much of it is free will and how much feels predestined. And I think that the idea that there is a timeline that doesn't really cast any judgment and doesn't determine things by whether it's good or bad to our understanding, just that it's the proper flow of time. And that's kind of an interesting idea the proper flow. Going back to, you mentioned Tom sort of taking you to Loki school, the Loki lessons. Were there any like things that you, you really like honed in on as he was explaining, like, wait, dig into this deeper because there's a lot that I know just the fans, they glom onto very specific moments about Loki. Yeah, it was definitely kind of taking notes and Tom's very articulate and has a way of kind of explaining things in a memorable way that I would sort of jot down and then sometimes in actual scenes kind of say it back. And I found that sort of useful to our dynamic. As we wrap up, are there any favorite moments you have between, you know, the interactions between maybe the other members of the TVA or with Loki that uh, you think fans will really enjoy as they see? Well, there's in some of the later episodes there, you know, we have a great cast and playing off of some of these people. You know, that was also something that was exciting about joining the MCU and how great they do in casting everything. There's great moments with uh, Ravona in her chambers. There's so much history uh, like, I feel like we could have just seen a full series between the two of you, what that's been like. Yeah. Well, I think with, you know, Ryan Slayer is my boss and, you know, the way you have to do sometimes with a boss or back in school with a principal or a teacher sort of trying to sort of stay out of trouble, but also, you know, get permission to do the projects you want to do. And so that's a situation Mobius is often kind of put into with Renslayer. Oh, and thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. 
All right. So those were three interviews that we had this week, but let's get into what we're going to have for next week. Next week, we have on members of the X-Men Comics staff. We have Jordan D. White, who is the senior editor of X-Men Comics, and Leah Williams, who has uh, been writing a bunch of X-Men comics. She just wrote X-Factor, and she's going to be writing the upcoming Trial of Magneto. So we have them to talk about Hellfire Gala and beyond and it's going to be great they're wonderful so with that in mind our question of the week is if you were able to attend the hellfire gala who would you most want to mingle with if you got to go and party with all the mutants if you got to hang out with a lot of superheroes celebrities dignitaries me lorraine and james who (laughs) would you most want to mingle with and hang out with at the party no offense to us but i would want to hang out with kate pride it would be like Regina George and I would be like hey guys do you like want to talk to me and they would be like no and I'd be like but please actually Kate would be nice to me and Emma would read my mind and be like you want to be here too much and then send me away and that would be fine that's fair I'd want to hang out with Forge because I think he like the way he's written right now he'd just be a riot and he'd be wild I would want to find Jubilee I'd want to hang out with Jubes Jubes talk about having adopted children and being awesome and she's just the best and then also I'd find Conan O'Brien and talk to him for a bunch of hours because he was at the gala All right, of course, we want to know about your Hellfire Gala, who you most want to mingle with. So you can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com, or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Please make sure to tell us if it is okay to read on the show. So last week we asked y'all, if you were at the TVA, what would you do with all of that sweet, sweet TVA technology? Where would you go? What would happen? And we got some great comments from y'all over on the internets. The first one here is from Bobby P at Cap Rogers 44, which says, if I had the tech of the TVA, I would use it to go back and be present at the Gettysburg Address, as well as other historical events. That is so wholesome. Not like glutton me, just like, I'm going to eat all the food. <laughs> Fine, Bobby. You're right. That's a good choice. I like He's that He's missing one. out on some really good like Baba Ganoush. So that's on yeah. him. All right, let's move on. We've got... Park Sumi at Lama Sumerian saying, I'll go and watch how Captain America returned all the Infinity Stones and also watch Red Skull's reaction when he met Steve Rogers. I'll just watch because if I change something, then the timeline will be in chaos. You don't want to mess with the TVA. No. And I also like how Park is like, if I'm at the TVA, I am clearly on the sacred timeline and I am involved with, with all the MCU stuff. It's great. Yeah. Next up, Donna Jonas at Warrior Woman 64 says, I would go back to County Sligo, Ireland to watch my great grandfather make the decision to leave Ireland to come to the U.S. Why did he choose to leave? What motivated him? Oh, more wholesome content. This is so nice, you guys. I love that. This is a lot less chaos than I expected. (laughs) Seriously. Paul at MZX, Mr. Zena91 says, I would go to the Marvel's Avengers premiere, then to the Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War premiere, then to the Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame premiere. Just watching and listening to the crowd react. I mean, our world has to exist in the MCU, right? I like that. Yeah. We've been to those premieres. Those are fun. We were there. Yeah. They were fun. They were a lot of fun. Marvel Studios Infinity War premiere was much different than the Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame premiere because after the Infinity War happened, it was a sad ending. I remember holding my co-host, Tamara Krinsky, who was sobbing because how could that happen to Spider-Man? Wow. He's just a kid. And that's like where we were. But like Endgame premiere, much different. Also, do you remember watching endgame in the theater that night and then just feeling like can they do this like (laughs) are we allowed like i don't know it was just next level yeah it was very next level stefan rodriguez at steph underscore rodrigo says i would obviously visit the past and the future worlds see the origin of the universe and other discoveries watch all upcoming marvel movies and series meet all the people of the mcu check out different timelines and obviously following the rules of course Of course. A DDM at The Tall Hobbit says, I'd go back in time and plant mini SD cards during the time of the pyramids. So any subsequent excavations just results in 10 hours of looped Rickroll. That's the chaos I was looking for. Yeah, more of that. Good stuff, Aditi. Gonzalo E. Del Rio V at 
Gonzalo Del Rio V says, if I were at the TVA, I would invest in a better design for our office space and workstation. They all need more natural light and good work <laughs> balance amenities. Come on, timekeepers, invest in your people better. But like, what is their natural light? Where are they? Yeah. Mm. Tony at T. Bizzleworth says, I've been trying to think of something but can't top Ryan's idea. Traveling through time and space trying different food seems like the best use of TVA technology. It is pretty legit. Although I, I will say that I like the idea of going back and like checking out the Big Bang and just being like, what was that like? Although hmm, you might not live. So maybe not. Mm, yeah. Maybe skip it. You got to have some sort of like protective technology to help you. Emily Loki spoilers at Loki underscore supremacy says the ship Thor and Loki are on in Marvel Studios Thor Ragnarok at the end. Make them hug and tell them to fly away quickly so a guy who has a rock collection doesn't kill them and uh, <laughs> then go be with Loki and live happily ever after the end. I cannot believe that I have, that is the first time I've heard a guy with a rock collection because that is mwah, so chef's good. kiss. Compliments to the chef. So the next one here is from Cardiner Cecile at Cardiner Cecile. Which says, if I was at the TVA, I'd go where Loki is. I would go where Tom Hiddleston is. I'd go back in time to be able to find out and meet him much sooner without the crowds before he was a world star. And I tried to be a friend for him. Oh, just BFFs with Tom Hiddleston slash Loki. We can have both universes That's a good simultaneously. One. It's fine. Yeah. Zoria at Zorisha says, I'd go back to the times when Tom Hiddleston was insecure and struggled with his own problems. Just want to make sure he knows how marvelous he is and that he rocks our world. So nice. Support for Tom. Kara at Miraculous Name says, if I were at the TVA, I would go to Tony's funeral, hug everyone, tell them they are amazing, and try to make them feel genuinely appreciated. They all needed a hug. Oh, this wholesome content. Leah at God's Girl June says, I would go to see Jane Austen's England in the early 1800s and visit Bath just to experience it. Everybody needs a bath. Hmm? <laughs> Next up, James Justice at James Justice says, I'd go to the Beatles rooftop concert. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Go catch some like Jimi Hendrix, like hit hit Woodstock. Why not? Oh, I ain't going to Woodstock. The place was so gross looking. Ugh. I like But hygiene. if you could beam in and out, just like go in, be like, what's going on? I guess. Okay, I'm gone. Oh, all that mud? No, thanks. Although a lot of people got sick. Um. Anyway, Luis at Luis JCJ says, I would go to Asgard and just enjoy the regal feel of the dresses. I'm a dress person. So uh, we got this one that says, I would track down Steve Rogers that went back in time at the end of Endgame and destroy him. <laughs> and then they went on to say, I just kind of felt like starting something. <laughs> causing some trouble just causing Chaos trouble reigns. i love it awesome person at vsk0627 says i would go back to the beginning of time and rule the earth i mean if you go this back, is loki yeah if you go back to the beginning of time the earth is probably not worth ruling if it's even there it's probably hadn't formed yet but hey if you want to rule the rocks yeah by all means you do you Alexa, Loki and Mobius's girlfriend, real at Loki's era, says, I would use it to figure out how my life is meant to go and then do everything but what I'm supposed to do. So I end up at the TVA and become an agent in the fashion that Loki did. Because why not? There you go. Yeah. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Bill Cosser at Bill Cosser says, I would find a reality bender who I would ask to contact the head hunters at Marvel to include Mobius in the next Avengers movie. They could bribe him with a jet ski. Oh, what mm. jet ski. Uh, up next, Karis Pollard at A. Karis Pollard says, I'd go back and tell my younger self, plonking out sad tunes on a piano and singing, very out of tune, that it will be okay. I will get over the rainbow and worries do melt like lemon drops. Pretty sure that would create a rogue branch, though. <laughs> That's so sweet. We got an email from Amelia here. Uh, Amelia says, hello, good people of This Week in Marvel. On the occasion of you asking what I would do if I worked at the TVA, and naturally, the first idea that came into my head was the most stereotypical nerdy 12-year-old thing ever, because why defy expectations when they fit you perfectly? This being that I would, without a doubt, time travel back to the prime of YA dystopian fiction, the early 2010s, just to consume it at its best. To add to the excitement of this, it would be around the time the MCU was starting, so therefore, I would be a Marvel fan earlier and therefore be able to see Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame in the cinema and scream with everyone else when all the superheroes appear. I would also run around just before disasters and do ridiculous things because why not? Amelia, I love that. We've got this one from the overpowered tech lord at Lex Pendragon, which says, 
If I were at the TVA, I would want to harness their technology to eliminate lag since every single packet could arrive before it was sent from the server. Knowing the work I'd do, I'd probably just be fixing the printer for all those files. There is a decades-long debate in my house about the way to say gyro, 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 whatever you want to say. I point out that in America, Lorraine is right. It's meat cooked on a gyroscope. Unless Ryan says gyroscope all the time, and he probably does. I have to side with Lorraine. I'm right. Yes. Yes. But like gyroscope. My Greek friend always used to say gyro. And so I was trying to. Maybe that's just a pronunciation thing. Yeah, for them. That's how I learned to say it. So we're both right. Nope, just me. Also, what Marvel fan doesn't <laughs> doesn't know to stay all the way to the end of Twim? Like everything else, the after credit scenes are the best. They have an after credits in the trailers for movies. Of course, you have to stay till the end. Yeah, Lorraine always comes through with something wonderful right at the end. No pressure whatsoever. But with that in mind, we're about to wrap it up. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Heroes Heroes, super meat that you can buy on the street. Heroes Heroes, yum. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs> <laughs>